Hi, I'm Alan Alexandrov, and I'm one of the senior editors of Oxford's journal, Global Symmetry. It's my pleasure today to inaugurate a second podcast series. The first series, which we aptly call Global Symmetry, was launched with an interview with Henry Farrell of George Washington University, where we explored with him his concept of global green lanternism. Generally, this podcast series will involve interviews with academics, journalists, policymakers, some former officials, and will concern principally analytic and even theoretic subjects on global symmetry and global governance. This second podcast series is entitled Now. The second podcast series focuses on subjects that you might otherwise see in print in the journal in either the Policy Watch section or in the Flashpoint section. We are launching this new Now series with a podcast from Sarah Mojtebzadeh. Sarah is a journalist that has done work for Sky News in Europe and for the BBC World Service and is currently working in print at the Toronto Star. Sarah explores the deepening crisis of immigration in the European Union and highlights not just the various streams of immigrants, but also points to the failure of commitment and policymaking by the 28-nation European Union. Now over to Sarah. mile-long fence contain a migration crisis. In a recent opinion piece, the British Home Secretary laid out the case for stricter security to stem what her Prime Minister David Cameron called the swarm of migrants crossing the channel from France to Britain. That includes spending £7 million on fresh fencing to prevent migrant crossings from the French port city of Calais. Our streets are not paved with gold, Theresa May said. Our border is secure and there is no easy way into the UK. Her writing establishes a clear narrative about why people are coming to Europe and how to deal with them. The migrants are mostly here for economic gain, which places an unsustainable burden on national coffers. The drawbridge must be raised. Across the continent, that narrative is repeating itself, most recently in Macedonia, but also in Hungary, which is building a widely condemned fence to stop the flow of migrants crossing from Serbia. But is the discourse accurate, and are its solutions realistic? I'm Sara Monshtahedzadeh, and as a former BBC World Service journalist, I covered the so-called migration crisis and its impact on the issue's ground zero, Italy. Some quick context to start. Migrants in Calais account for as little as 1% of the estimated 280,000 people who arrived in Europe so far this year. So although attempted border crossings there have captured the headlines lately, France and Britain are really not as dramatically affected as the rest of the continent. Instead, it's the Mediterranean, Italy, and especially now Greece, who are bearing the brunt. Last year, Frontex, the European Border Management Agency, detected over 200,000 border crossings along these routes to Europe. 
The most popular route, Libya to Italy, the so-called Central Mediterranean route, saw a 277% increase in the volume of illegal border crossings from 2013 to 2014. When I visited Italy last year, many of the migrants I met had come to Europe for a brighter economic future. But there are really two migration crises unfolding in Europe. One of them is driven by this. The numbers show that most migrants are fleeing war-torn countries or political oppression. The top three nationalities arriving in Europe are Syrian, Eritrean and Afghani. Take the central Mediterranean route again. In 2009, there were 40 detections of Syrian migrants. In 2014, there were almost 40,000. There were around 1,000 detections of Eritrean migrants in 2009, but in 2014, there were over 33,000. The fact that around a quarter of irregular migrants in Europe are women and children is also telling. They are leaving behind violence, not looking for a job. But there are other factors propelling this extraordinary flow of human life. The revolutions of the Arab Spring sent Libya into a tailspin of chaos and flooded North and West Africa with arms. In this environment, the business of human trafficking has thrived, and the challenge of stopping it intensified. I spoke to one man in Italy, originally from Ghana, who had made the perilous journey from Libya to Lampedusa twice. It took Bonnie Prince two weeks to cross through the Libyan desert, where he almost died. But on his first crossing to Italy, the boat nearly sank, and he had to turn around and go back. Such is the year of Europe, and it's true that many migrants do come to Europe for economic reasons, which is creating the second, albeit much smaller, stream of migrants. But the reality of what awaits them stands in stark contrast to their expectations. When I met Bonnie Prince, he was barely surviving in a ramshackle, abandoned home in the Italian countryside. Here's what he said about his life. <sighs> if I go back, I'll... I cannot tell them. Let them stay for home. You know, I have mother here. You know, I have father here. Then you cannot keep any money. This is the profile of person that populist or right-wing politicians in Europe hold up as a drain on national resources. But I also spoke to Italian farmers who said they depended on migrant labor in order to compete in an international and fiercely competitive food industry. These farmers pay migrants bottom-of-the-barrel wages to do work Italians are no longer willing to do. In fact, in Italy, the business of migrant labor is a well-coordinated affair. A group of people known as the Caporale, often North African migrants themselves, serve as the liaison between employers and migrant workers, shepherding them to and from the fields for a cut of their wages. Large agricultural companies have even been accused of being complicit in human trafficking from Africa. And every year, many of the thousands of migrants who land on Italy's shores end up in its fields, planting and harvesting oranges, watermelons, and tomatoes to sell across the continent. So what are the solutions to these two distinct forms of migration? The most obvious response is to address conflict and oppression in places like Syria, Afghanistan, and Eritrea. Unfortunately, that solution is also the most complicated. According to Dimitrios Papadimitriou, president of Migration Policy Institute, not much can be done to stem the crises in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, but more could be done to invest in transit countries like Turkey to give refugees the opportunity to stay there. He also says European countries need to do more to focus on preventing the next Syria by providing humanitarian support for countries on the brink like Yemen.
As one European Union communique puts it, the impact of global poverty and conflict don't end at national frontiers. No member state can effectively address migration alone. It's clear that we need a new, more European approach. There are rough outlines of that approach forming. The European Commission, for example, has committed to ramping up the budget for Frontex's maritime rescue operations. It's also looking to implement a new emergency response and resettlement system that will allow for a fairer distribution of people needing protection across the continent. The hope is that this will lighten the burden for countries like Italy and Greece. There are also plans to build a pilot processing center in Niger by the end of the year, the gateway to what for many migrants is a death march across the Sahara. The center will offer assisted voluntary return options and help educate migrants about the realities of migration to Europe. Finally, a recent European Commission policy paper raises the prospect of revisiting the Union's entire migration model, while recognizing that EU treaties give individual nations the final decision on migration issues, the paper also recognizes that the continent has collective needs and a collective responsibility to respond to this crisis. One suggestion includes creating a common European asylum system, which would make asylum status valid throughout the Union, with the hopes of guaranteeing those fleeing conflict equal treatment across the continent. This would help dismantle the so-called Dublin Regulation, which requires that migrants are processed in the country they arrive in and prevents them from leaving until the processing is complete, and that traps them in financially unstable countries like Greece and Italy. Another suggestion is re-examining legal migration, possibly by creating an EU-wide pool of qualified economic migrants that member states could then select from. This expression of interest system would address another very real European problem, its aging population and expensive welfare states that need an influx of young, skilled workers to prop it up. But as British Home Secretary Theresa May's fence talk indicates, there is still little unity on an integrated approach. The focus of the UK and France's recently signed agreement about migrants in Calais is police enforcement, rather than a broader set of activities to address root causes. The UK and France have also opposed the proposals of Jean-Claude Juncker, the European Commission's president, to set up fair relocation procedures for asylum seekers who reach Greece and Italy. More importantly, Germany, which expects to receive somewhere in the region of 800,000 asylum applications by the end of 2015, is raising the specter of reintroducing national border controls unless other countries start to take in an equitable share of migrants. But former Belgian Prime Minister Guy Verhofstadt says these approaches will do little more than maintain the status quo, a system where migrants in need of help are stranded in the countries least able to provide it. Dimitri Papadimitriou of Migration Policy says there is still a glimmer of hope, though. Germany's development minister has recently called for 10 billion euros to support Turkey, Lebanon and Jordan, where there are nearly 4 million Syrian refugees. He suggests this is an indication that Europe's major players are starting to think more strategically. German leader Angela Merkel and her French counterpart François Hollande are now also meeting to pin down an integrated European-wide migration response after Macedonian riot police used stun grenades to try and prevent migrants crossing their border. As Verhofstadt notes, there is no single and no simple solution to the so-called migratory crisis, but tearing down walls is a start. This Global Symmetry podcast was hosted by Zara Mochtahizadeh, 
produced by Harmony Z. Music by Kevin McLeod. For more information, check out globalsymmetryproject.com.